0: Welcome or welcome back to Rory's Truth, we're Rory. Hope everyone's having or has had a good day. I'm pretty excited for this episode because it's all about crime, as you can tell from the title. Grab your popcorn and a drink because this episode is going to be an interesting and maybe long episode. Either way, please just be prepared. So exactly, who commits a crime? Well, anyone really can commit a crime, doesn't really matter what race, political party, gender, or anything like that. If you have some form of a weapon or anything, then you can commit a crime. As for why crime happens, there is an exact reason, but there's a ton of reasons as to why crime happens. It could include anger, jealousy, revenge, or pride. Some people decide to commit a crime and carefully plan everything in advance to increase gain and decrease risk. These people are making choices about their behavior. Some even consider a life of crime better than a regular job. Believing crime brings in greater rewards, admiration, and excitement, at least until they are caught. Others get an adrenaline rush when successfully carrying out a dangerous crime. Others commit crimes on impulse, out of rage, or fear. I don't know about you guys, but I love crime shows, documentaries, and podcasts. Like, I'm seriously up to, like, 3 a.m. watching some form of criminal case or something, either on YouTube, Netflix, or Investigation Discovery. I think I got my love for crime shows and documentaries and podcasts from my mom because she mainly watches crime shows and listens to crime podcasts. At first, I thought she was crazy, but every now and then I watch either a crime documentary or a crime series on Netflix YouTube, or Investigation Discovery, and sometimes listen to a crime podcast. I was actually just listening to an episode from Crime Junkie podcast before recording this. It was for sure one interesting episode. Anyways, about a week ago, I seriously saw the craziest crime documentary on Netflix. I'm not going to say too much, but let's just say that this lady was married and had two little girls and her husband killed her and the two little girls and dumped their bodies somewhere that's all i'm saying if you have netflix you should definitely check out american murder the family next door to see what i'm talking about it's definitely a crazy crime documentary for sure then web of lies is a series on investigation discovery that i check out every now and then it covers tragic stories of deception and manipulation triggered by online interactions from predators lurking behind facebook profiles to creeps scouring chat rooms for their victims All right, so now I'm about to talk about two criminal cases. One of them happened six years ago, and the other one happened almost 15 years ago. Anyways, I'm going to get into it. So the first case I'm going to be talking about happened almost 15 years ago. I will also like to give a little side note that if you are triggered by suicide, then I recommend that you skip this part of the episode. In the year of 2006, a 13, almost 14-year-old girl named Megan Meyer for weeks begged for a Myspace account. After weeks upon weeks of begging, Megan's mother allowed her to get a Myspace account, but also set a few rules. Like she couldn't add anyone she didn't know and things like that. After being on Myspace for about a few weeks, she gets this friend request from a good looking 16 year old boy whose name was Josh Evans. Even though she had never met him, she begged her mother to allow her to add him as a friend. For the next six weeks, Megan and Josh under her mother's watchful eye Became acquainted in the virtual world of MySpace. After school, Megan would rush to the computer. Megan had a lifelong struggle with weight and self esteem, and now she finally had a boy who she thought really, who she thought really thought she was pretty. And then on Sunday, October 15th, 2006, Megan received a puzzling and disturbing message from Josh. It said, I don't know if I want to be friends with you anymore because I've Because I've heard that you are not very nice to your friends. Frantic Megan shot back. What are you talking about? The following day was rainy and bleak. At school, Megan had handed out invitations to her upcoming birthday party. When she got home, she asked her mother to log on to MySpace to see if Josh had responded. Why did he suddenly think she was mean? Who had he been talking to? Tina, her mother, signed on. But she was in a hurry. She had to take her younger daughter, Allison, to the orthodontist. Before Tina could get out the door, it was clear Megan was upset. Josh still was sending troubling messages, and he apparently had shared some of Megan's messages with others. Tina recalled Megan to sign off. Tina was pressed for time. She had to go, but once at the orthodontist's office, she called Megan and asked, Did you sign off? No, Mom. They're all being so mean to me. You're not listening to me, Megan. Sign off now. 15 minutes later, Megan called her mother, By now, Megan was in tears. They are posting bulletins about me. A bulletin is like a survey. Megan Meyer is a slut. Megan Meyer is fat. Megan was sobbing hysterically. Tina was furious that she had not signed off. Once Tina returned home, she rushed into the basement where the computer was. Tina was shocked at the vulgar language her daughter was firing back at people. I am so aggravated at you for doing this, she told Megan. Megan ran from the computer and left, but not without first telling Tina, you're supposed to be my mom. You're supposed to be on my side. On the stairway leading to her second-story bedroom, Megan ran to her father, Ron. I grabbed her as she tried to go by, Ron says. She told me that some kids were saying horrible stuff about her, and she didn't understand why. I told her it's okay. I told her that they obviously don't know her and that it would be fine. Megan went to her room, and Ron went downstairs to the kitchen where he and Tina talked about what had happened, the MySpace account, and made dinner. Twenty minutes later, Tina suddenly froze in mid-sentence. Tina ran upstairs and went into Megan's room and saw Megan hanging in her closet. Megan Taylor Meyer died the next day, three weeks before her 14th birthday. Later that day, Ron opened his daughter's MySpace account and viewed what he believes to be the final message Megan saw, one the FBI would be unable to retrieve from the hard drive. It was from Josh, and according to Ron's best recollection, it said, Everybody in O'Fallon, which by the way, it's in Missouri, knows who you are. You are a bad person and everybody hates you. Have a shitty rest of your life. The world will be a better place without you. Tina and Ron saw a grief counselor. Tina went to a couple parents after loss of suicide meetings as well. They tried to message Josh Evans to let him know the deadly power of mean words, but his MySpace account had been deleted. Six weeks after Megan died, a neighbor down the street, one they didn't know well, called and insisted that they meet that morning at a counselor's office in Northern O'Fallon. The woman would not provide details. Ron and Tina went, their grief counselor was there, as well as a counselor from Fort Zumwalt West Middle School. The neighbor from down the street, a single mom with a daughter the same age as Megan, informed the Myers that Josh Evans never existed. She told the Myers that Josh Evans was created by adults, a family on their block. These adults, she told the Myers, were the parents of Megan's former friend, one with whom she had a falling out with. She said her daughter, who had carpooled with the family that was involved, Creating the phony MySpace account had the password to the Josh Evans account and had sent one message, the one Megan received the night before she took her life. She had been encouraged to join in the joke, the single mother said. The single mother said her daughter feels the guilt of not saying something sooner and for writing that message. Her daughter didn't speak out sooner because she'd known the other family for years and thought that what they were doing must be okay because after all, they were trusted adults. On the night the ambulance came for Megan, her daughter received a call. It was the woman behind the creation of the Josh Evans account. She had called to tell the girls that something had happened to Megan and advised the girl not to mention the MySpace account. That same day, the family down the street tried to talk to the Myers. Ron asked friends to convince them to leave before he physically harmed them. Tina says her daughter died thinking Josh was real and that she never before attempted suicide. She was the happiest she had ever been in her life, Ron says. After years of wearing braces, Megan was um, was scheduled to have them removed the day she died, and she was looking forward to her birthday party. She and her mom went shopping and bought a new dress, Ron says. She wanted to make this grand entrance with me carrying her down the stairs. I never got to see her in that dress until the funeral. There were no criminal charges filed in connection with Megan's death, even though what happened with Megan was a crime. I will be sure to also link this story in the description. Okay, so I know you guys are probably tired of hearing my voice, but I have just one more criminal case, and then I'm going to say sayonara. Maybe. (laughs) Anyway, the murder happened on January 13th of 2010 in Georgia, but the identical twin sisters were jailed for 30 years in 2015 for stabbing their mother and leaving her to die in a bathtub. Jazmaya and Tazmaya. I only am saying their names like that. I don't even know if that's how you say their names, because I went to go Google how to pronounce it. Their names and nothing came up and all that. So, anyway, Whitehead were 16 when they stabbed their mother, Jamika Whitehead, 34, so violently that they served her spinal cord. She also suffered stab wounds to her lungs, jugular, and the back of her neck. The twins turned on their mother after getting into an argument on January 13, 2010, at their home in Conyers, Georgia, after getting up late for school. Their mother told her daughters she hated them. As she bled to death in the bathtub, the twins watched their mother sink below the surface and knew that she was dead, they said in statements. After the murder, the girls collected their mom's purse and phone along with the pot and knife in a plastic bag and then went to school. It wasn't until later that day that the girls summoned a Rockdale County Sheriff's deputy who was driving by their home. He found the victim submerged in the bathtub The officer said at the time that he could smell the blood in the air at the home. The teens lied and said they found their mother dead. Police initially treated them as victims, but found that the 16-year-olds had cuts and bite marks, implicating their involvement in a vicious fight. Both girls originally pleaded not guilty when they were arrested and charged four months later. The twins both expressed regret that they had not called the police and helped their injured mother. The family had a violent history prior before the fight, which escalated to murder. Their mother had accused her daughters of smoking pot and being sexually active, while they in turn had accused her of using illegal drugs. The twins got in a fight with their mother in 2008 and were forced by a juvenile court to live with their great-grandmother, Della Fraser. They moved back with their mother a week before the murder. The twins had told a counselor that if forced to go back to their mother's home, they would kill her, according to a prosecutor. I just have like a few more things to say and then I'm done. See, like, I don't know how someone or two people, whatever, can go and murder someone that they love and then like put their body somewhere like in a trash can or like a bathtub or something. And go to, like, school or work and then act as if you didn't just murder someone. Like, what the, see me, I wouldn't be able to eat, I wouldn't be able to talk, walk, nothing. Like, I'd be paranoid. And, like, I'd be, like, thinking in the back of my mind, like, okay, like, I put the body, like, in the trash can and, like, I have to go make sure, like... You know, like no one looks and blah, blah. And I'd be just like so paranoid. And like, I'm just too lazy for that, honestly. Like, oh my God, like you're trying to fight me. Like, no. And it's just like, see, I would never, I would never do that. I would never go and stab someone, whether that's a person that I love or some random. You know what I'm saying? Like, see me, I love my mom. Does she piss me off sometimes? Yes. Do I still love her? Of course. Like, does she get my nerves? Yeah, but I still love my mom. You know what I'm saying? I can't live without well my mom. People say we look alike, which personally me, I don't see it. But hey, people say, oh, like, are you guys sisters? I'm like, no. But like, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, I don't know how someone or two people or whatever can just go and like kill someone that they love and then act as if like they didn't do, I don't know. Me, I I, I, I wouldn't be, uh-uh. I don't know what goes into like the mind. I don't know, but it's honestly though, like when I first like heard this like story, I was just like in shock because like, I mean, that's her mom. Like that's the woman I get, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, that's all I have to say on that. And that my friends is a wrap on this episode. If you made it to the end, thank you. I appreciate it for Friday's episode. I'm gonna let you guys know what's up with me since I know some of you are curious. It's gonna be like a chit chat episode. It will definitely be an episode you're not going to want to miss out on listening to. I hope all of you listening have a fabulous day.